Hello, my name is Jody Lima, and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the kids' books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts, such as writers, teachers, and librarians, about their own favorite children's books. Before we get started today, I just wanted to let you know that the next podcast won't come out until September 1st. I usually try to aim for two podcasts a month, uh, but I'm going to take a little break. Uh, part of this reason is I'm going on vacation, but the other part is I'm going to be doing a little updating on my website and making a few minor tweaks to the podcast when I get back. I'll explain more of that when I return on September 1st. Uh, but in the meantime, if you're just coming to this podcast for the first time, listen to a few of the older ones and let me know what you think. And if it sounds like something you might want to participate in, uh, drop me a line on the contact form on my website. Anyway, just like always, I'm going to start with a poem. It's a short one this time. Uh, it's called Umbrella, and it was written by Valerie Wirth. I found it in her poetry book, Peacock and Other Poems, which was illustrated by Natalie Babbitt. Uh, Valerie, uh, who passed away in 1994, was known particularly for her short verse for children. In 1991, the National Council of Teachers of English recognized her lifetime of work with its Poetry Award for Excellence in Poetry for Children. And her poetry books include Small Poems, The Crone's Book of Words, and At Christmas Time. Umbrella by Valerie Wirth Slack wings folded, it hangs by a claw in the closet, sleeping or moping or quietly hatching a plot to flap out and escape on the furious sweep of the storm. My guest today is Matthew Winner, an elementary school librarian in Maryland, co-founder of the website All the Wonders, and host of the podcast The Children's Book Podcast. You can find Matthew's website at www.matthewcwinner.com. Thank you for joining me today, Matthew. Thank you so much, Jody. I'm glad to be here. Now, I, I read that list of all the things you do, and the first question I really have is, where do you find the time? Ah, you know, it's it's that, that magical thing of when you do what you love, time just sort of makes itself, doesn't it? It does. It does. I, I look forward to interviewing my guests on the Children's Book Podcast um, as much as I'm sure you look forward to talking to your guests. So because I look forward to it, it's nothing to just be a fan of a book and then get to interview the person behind it. It's nothing at all for me to, to set time aside for that. It really fuels me. And how did you get started with the Children's Book Podcast? Well, let's see. The Children's Book Podcast used to be called All the Wonders. And before that, it was called the Let's Get Busy Podcast because I had a blog called The Busy Librarian that I used just to talk about my musings as a librarian and to talk about how we're all busy. So let's let's talk about it and let's figure out ways to sort of to tame the busy, if you will. <laughs> but But in that meantime... I had just become obsessed with podcasts. I don't watch a whole lot of TV. Um, I don't, I don't, that, that's sort of my go-to. If it's not video games, it's podcasting all the time that I do the laundry or mow the lawn or everything, everything else mundane that people do listening to podcasts, but also just for entertainment. So I had been listening to so many different ones and I happened to be at ALA in Chicago one year. I was named a library journal mover and shaker in 2013. So I was at the reception, and um, as so many of us often do in the evening of, of conferences, I was hanging out at the bar with a bunch of library friends and author friends, and 
uh, a pal of mine, Travis Yonker, uh, who's a librarian in Michigan and also um, a co-host of a, of a children's podcast called The Yarn. He said, so what's next? And I said, well, I, I listen to so many podcasts. I'd love to do it, but I just kind of don't know don't know what to do or where to go. And he said, well, why don't you just start and figure it out as you go? And so I did. And here we are five years later and, and three names later. And the Children's Book Podcast is uh, very near 500 episodes. So it's been a wonderful thing. And it's connected me with a lot of amazing people. And I've gotten the chance to champion a whole lot of really wonderful books. Now, you've done so many. This might be a hard question. But do you have a favorite moment or a favorite guest? I don't sort of my my favorite changes all the time, so I can talk to the ones that are most recent that really meant a lot to me. I had Vesper Stamper on to talk about a YA book she wrote called When the Night Sings, which is a a sort of post-Holocaust story, and it was just so moving and so beautiful and so personal that that conversation caught me off guard so many times, and that really always ends up being those favorite conversations, or rather the ones for me that will last the longest, the ones that that I forget that there's going to be people listening, and I just I find myself just alone with the person I'm interviewing. Likewise, there's a, a, a graphic novelist, her name is Tilly Walden, and she wrote a graphic memoir called Spinning about not only her time as a semi-professional figure skater, uh, and actually, as she was growing up, she was losing interest in it, despite her parents pushing her to do it. She wanted to find a way out. At the same time, she was coming out as a teenager, coming out uh, as gay. And the way that those two stories blend together, as well as the way that Tilly just has such a command over her art, uh, was just something, again, that just took me off guard I found I really, I really lost myself in the conversation. Whenever that happens, I, uh, who knows what the favorite episodes are for the people listening. I, I, I allow that to be something personal, but for me, each each conversation really holds a different meaning for me. You, I mentioned you're also co-founder of All the Wonders, and I'm just wondering what was the uh, impetus behind uh, getting that started. Well, I can, I can, man, I'm gonna just name drop all the podcast friends that I have in this world. Uh, so Nick Patton has this great podcast called Picture Booking, and I was a guest on Picture Booking, um, and Nick at, used to ask this this question uh, of his guest that if you had unlimited time and resources, what would you do? What's sort of your dream project? And I said, well, you know, it'd be really amazing to be able to build a platform where children's books could get the same kind of attention as movies and as television shows wouldn't that be amazing and and wouldn't you know this filmmaker from new york uh heard the episode blake hamilton and he (laughs) sent me uh sort of a blind email saying hey if you if you ever want to talk more about that i know you don't know me from adam but I'd, i'd love to talk and so he and i spent about a year going back and forth bonding and 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 nerding out over <laughs> similar things and just finding a connection and we decided to jump in and to to build this thing because there weren't any other websites doing at the time there weren't any other websites doing what we were hoping to do which is be a a, a multi-entry point to children's books from different multimedia and we started projects gosh it would have been October of 20 I think it was 2015, and um, it went from then through 
just uh, the 1st of January of this year, 2018, when we, uh, after those a uh, little over two years, decided to close the doors because the, the eight or nine of us that were running the behind the scenes just started feeling pulled in other directions, but also feeling like that all the wonders served its purpose the time that it was around. We made an impact on children's publishing. We were really proud of that. And we all left to write books of our own or start other projects and become involved in other things and just walked away really proud of what we accomplished with all the wonders. What kind of feedback did you get um, while it was going? One of the things I think we were proudest of was that we did this monthly feature where we took a book and we did all the wonders of this 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 book of Worm Loves Worm of this is Sadie of all these different picture books uh, specifically, and we would approach it from all these different angles. We would have an interview with the author, and we would have a guest post, and we would look at the art of the book, and we would um, look at how to engage readers with the book and crafts. And that was the thing I think we were doing uh, most different from anyone else. And one of the things that we just loved the most to try to give all these different ways to engage with this book and to allow the book to have a even a greater life than just what it does at bedtime. So that that for me was one of the things I was most proud of. I mentioned you're you're an elementary school library in Maryland and when I have librarians on there's there's one question I usually like to ask which is what do you think is it that people most misunderstand about the role of a librarian particularly a school librarian? Well, you know, uh, Jody, I'm going to put on my librarian advocacy hat here and just say that whenever, whenever we librarians, I think, are doing our job best, we are being transparent in all the things that we do in our job and being as visible as possible. So most people will know. I, I know every teacher in my building knows very clearly that I teach uh, these children and that I uh, teach them author's craft and we engage in technology and we're global learners and looking at what our role is in the in the global uh, learning community. But I'm also very transparent in um, the different roles that I that I play that aren't as visible, like in administering a library and being a technology specialist and an information specialist. And those things are probably the hardest things to evaluate as well as a as an administrator would have me evaluate. Often I'm evaluated on my teaching alone, but it's really only a, about a quarter of what I do. So I don't I don't sweat it. I'm really the only one in my building that does exactly what I do, and so it, it makes sense that there might be some things that are not known as well as as the things that are perhaps more visible, but. You know, it also is an opportunity just to invite people in. Like, here you are asking me what I do. I'm so excited to tell you what I do. Can I tell you my favorite thing, Jody? My favorite thing here? Absolutely, yeah. Well, this changes day to day. I mean, my favorite thing always is working with kids because they're the greatest. But I always love when someone says uh, that they want to, like, they want me to make a book list for them or a collection of books for them or a whatever. That's my favorite. Not just making the list, but when I give it to you and then you you tell me, how'd I do? I love finding out that like I gave you books that you never heard of before or that became your new favorites or that the kids were just so engaged with. That is such a driving force in how important it is for me to be an expert on these books, but also how much I can fit into that role of collaborating with you and partnering with you and helping you to be an even better teacher by having better resources to engage with with your students. 
Uh, to put you on the spot a little bit, uh, if besides the book we're going to talk about today, is there one book uh, maybe recently or that you might recommend that might have been overlooked that you think kids might, uh, obviously there might be several for different circumstances, but one book in particular you think, this is something kids should check out, or even adults? I can give you a book, but first let me go this way and say, that really is the onus of my podcast. I want to try to give voice and bring attention to those books you might not know about yet. Uh, I want to lift up diverse voices. Uh, it is called the Children's Book Podcast, but we know that these are books for everyone, for, for children and adults and teachers and librarians, for everyone. One of the books I read recently that I just was like way, way obsessed with was uh, a book called Prince and the Dressmaker by Jess Wang, I believe was the author. And this is a graphic novel about uh, a prince who at night sort of takes on this other persona and goes out as Lady, oh, I can't remember the name, Lady Scarlet, Lady something, I can't remember, uh, but has this 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 sort of alter ego. And there's uh, a dressmaker who, who gets called in because she is one of the greatest dressmakers in, in the kingdom, and she secretly makes these dresses for the, the, the prince. Uh, and it's such a beautiful book, and there's so much space for the reader to to inhabit that book and to to ask questions and uh yeah i mean i don't know any uh, my favorite book changes every single week but there's so much there's so much good stuff out there now can i turn it on you do you have a favorite book of the moment let's see um whenever i get this asked question my mind always goes blank and i can't I know. remember what i'm <laughs> reading right now i know i'm i've been doing a lot of audio books uh lately oh i just finished uh the hate you can uh, the hate the, you give the hate you give holy um, cow that's yeah. a book and did I, you read here's here's a here's a um a one from middle grade that you should read next have you read uh ghost boys yet i have not i have not Will parker Rhodes. it's about a um 12 year old boy named jerome who is shot and killed by a police officer on the very first page and the story then takes Two paths. The first is the the day leading up to Jerome getting shot, in which case there's an incident of of bullying in this middle school. There's a new kid that comes to school. There's uh there's a toy gun that ends up being uh, pivotal in this police shooting. But then the second story that goes along with it is Jerome as a ghost and the only person Jody that can see or hear him. Uh, the only person he can interact with is the daughter of the white police officer who shot him. Hmm. It is a powerful and moving and affirming and beautiful, beautiful book. It's, I think, perhaps for me, just the outstanding book of the year. This is the one that stands out to me. I read a lot of great books, but there's something so personal, something that connects so deeply with my students when I read this book that, that Jewel Parker Rhodes just nails, nails, nails. And what's the name of the book again? It's called Ghost Boys. Ghost Boys. I will have to check that out. I will have to check that out. Oh, man. You need to check it out and then come talk to me about it. Because that. <laughs> that's the best. Talking about books, that's the best part. Now, the book you chose for today is also a graphic novel uh, like the one you mentioned before. It's called The Storm in the Barn by Matt Phelan. It was first published in 2009 by Candlewick Press. And it was also a winner of the Scott O'Dell Award for Historical Fiction in 2010. And for readers who might not have had a chance to uh, check it out yet, can you talk a little bit about what it's about? Oh, yeah. So Matt Phelan, he 
he's a cartoonist. He's a graphic novelist, and he also makes picture books. So people might know his art. I think it's very recognizable. Once you read his books, he this is a guy that knows how to draw faces. And in this book, in The Storm in the Barn, it's about a family in the Dust Bowl that has, has experienced this drought for uh, quite a long time. And the whole town, this whole small town, is really plagued by by these dust storms. But one day this boy finds this mysterious being. He's not sure if it's a um, if uh, it's a gangster hiding out or if it's just some sort of rabble rouser or someone hiding in this barn. But as the mystery starts to unlock, it becomes sort of more and more fantastic, this character in the barn. And at the same time, his family his sister in particular is is suffering from a, a sickness caused by the dust from this pneumonia um and and really from doctors trying to figure out what's going on doctors I- I even trying to coin new terms because of how people are being affected by this dust dust dementia becomes a figure in this story um but i think at the end of the day it's about a boy trying to find himself find himself in his role in this family and and in this sort of plague that's affecting his town. Let's just say uh, Jake is the main character. He actually has very little uh, dialogue in the book, yet we we do grow to know him, you know, what drives him, why he makes the decisions he does. And what is it about him that makes him such a compelling character, even if he doesn't say all that much? I mean, I think that the thing about Jake, especially the thing about Jake not saying much, is that then Jake gets to be us. We are Jake. When you read a graphic novel, you you are the character. You're seeing yourself in those words that you're reading. Uh, and for Jake, this boy who gets pushed around just for being for being small, and you see um, this adult who takes compassion, Ernie, the the bartender, taking compassion on him, and and a dad who's hardened, um, trying to get Jake to toughen up, and a sister who who loves his brother or her brother and just um i think it's that complexity the way that every character in this story interacts with him a little bit differently and he is a different person in all of these different relationships i think that complexity uh, and especially the the choice for matt to hold back on on how much jake talks really allows allows his his expressions, his emotions to do the talking. And that is something I think um, that becomes a universal connection for every reader. Uh, while we're reading this book, uh, the first book that came to mind to me uh, to compare it to was uh, Karen Hess's Out of the Dust. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah, because they take place in the same era. At the same time, they have very different approaches. Hers is free verse and a, a more realistic uh, approach. Uh, but what do you think uh, what they each bring and how they offer a different perspective on a, a very similar time in history. Well, so I feel like as a person who teaches children and as a person like these children who's so far removed from this history, I mean, right now we live in a time when people don't really know about scarcity of food, right? In this country, we're so privileged. There are some people that, that have access to more food or, or can afford perhaps better quality food or more organic food or things like that. But the access uh, in general, the, 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 how plentiful food is, is undeniable. And so to imagine a time when it wasn't, to imagine a time when the land was so overpicked that, that the soil just became 
an enemy became a, a living force as you know, we think of, of the earth as a living force, but to know that that sort of can turn on us and can uh, really cause the damage that it did. I think that Karen and Matt both um, do a beautiful job. I think that in Matt's story to have that, that visual, to be able to see what is for the most part because of his color palette, an entire book that is, toned in dust colors we're there we can feel it you know um what's the nonfiction author is it russell friedman it's russell friedman also did a, a non-fiction book i think called children of the dust this is going back back to like my first years of teaching i can't quite remember it but he also had these photos of the black and white photos in this book of these children in in this time in the depression when a part of our country was just uh was just suffering with the hope that it might rain but the reality that it that it wasn't and so i think that well i i suppose as always is the case the more books we have on this topic the more we can understand how important it is our relationship with the earth to have karen's book so beautifully so beautifully illustrate that every word counts when you write uh free verse and to have matt in this case show that each panel each illustration counts as well i think uh well they really pair quite nicely together don't they oh yes oh yes and i, I mentioned earlier that it, it actually won the scott odell award for historical fiction and um when i first read the book i didn't find that out till after the fact and at the minute i was a little i didn't think of it as historical fiction i'm wondering how do you think this particular book fits within that uh, historical fiction framework and what's the value of uh approaching a historical era like this with a story that's almost like a fairy tale well it is but it isn't though i think we as humans have have this habit of personifying those things that we're up against we do it i mean we name uh tropical storms we name hurricanes we give them a name we talk about andrew coming up the coast we talk about katrina and the devastation that she caused so i don't think it's a far stretch to show a, a physical personification of uh, weather in this. I suppose uh, uh, I'm going to spoil the heck out of this book, um, but I hope that people will pick it up and read it and really see that there's there's no way that I can spoil the magic, I think, that's in this book, how, how well Matt handles this child in so many ways wrestling with nature, wrestling to let the rain come i mean i think that everyone at this time in history was just grappling with what can i do to make the rain come and we see one of these traveling salesmen that has this thunder apparatus that if we just thunder it's thunder that causes the rain to fall so if we can make enough noise you know you pay me i run my machine and if i can make enough noise the skies will open up and the rain will come all of these ideas when you're when you're at the end of your rope when you feel like all hope is lost. We start we start grasping at things that feel like well, it's desperation. It's it's I need rain. I need anything that can make it happen. So I mean, I, I think it's actually quite beautiful that it wins this historical fiction award because the only person that that we see seeing this storm truly is the boy, is Jake. He at one point when his sister's in the barn with him, uh, he shields her from him, from the storm, uh, behind the umbrella. So we're left questioning by the end of the book, was the storm even real or was it, was it his imagination? Was it just him 
having his own space to be frustrated, to be away from the dust, to be imagining things. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I quite like leaving it in that place of wonder, not allowing answers, but, but leaving it for questions. So, so the question of who that mysterious character in the barn is even real uh, for you, it's, it's not so important to answer. Not for me. No. In fact, there's, there's so many um, moments that I love imagery pulled together. Did you notice? So, um, the, so the storm King, this barn being has this blue Cape, right? That we always see sort of out and extended that, uh, is, is like, it was not on like a storm moving through, but did you notice that when that traveling salesman was unveiling that thunder machine, that the cape that he pulls off of that thunder machine mimicked exactly that color and the movement of the Storm King from the barn? No, you know, I don't think I did notice. Now I have to go back and look. <laughs> yeah, so there's these things that, that parallel like that that I think are really important to take note of that that are, that are intentional. And speaking of the illustrations in this book, uh, another book that kind of uh, brought to mind uh, for me, uh, just in terms of the illustration, was some of the work of uh, Brian Selznick, um, uh, like uh, Invention of Hugh Crabbe. And what by by that I mean, there's almost a certain kind of cinematic quality in how one picture progresses to the next, sort of going into a scene or out of a scene or moving. You know, it's it's almost uh, movie-like in how one frame moves into another and i'm just wondering if, if you notice something like that or what you think the illustrations always hard to talk about illustrations oh, in no, no, audio no. But this, is, this is graphic novels i mean i, I can say that, so we have many different cartoonists approach comics in different ways and phelan for sure is a cinematic cartoonist here's another book called snow white which is sort of a film noir take on snow white a beautiful beautiful story it takes place in the 20s in um like new york and it's 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 just wonderful wonderful beautiful book same thing like character driven study the faces but rather than selznick i think the person that i would probably draw a comparison to is lewin fam who um illustrates the princess in black books with chin and hale and did a graphic novel with chin and hale called real friends which is another book to really study faces um it's not perhaps as cinematic, but in that story, the environment isn't a character. We're focused on the children uh, in, in that story. But Win Pham, she also has, for me, uh, this like mesmerizing quality to her art, the way that she just gets faces and expression. And man, when I'm reading a comic, I am all about looking for the way that I study this this face, this character, and I I can feel that way. That emotion transfers to me. So that that is something that always draws me. I find that my favorite artists, especially cartoonists, always have that quality. But you're right. Phelan does a beautiful job in A Storm in the Barn to play also with the panel sizes. You know, we're following panels like we do reading left to right and top to bottom. We follow the panels left to right and top to bottom. But there's sometimes when he has um, seven or eight panels on a page and other times when just two or three panels take up that whole page where he really wants us to sit with that image. He really wants us to take in all that we're seeing. And sometimes all that we're seeing is just a cape flying through the screen or is just the look of a face or the flash of a flashlight. Uh, it's really important to know that all of those beats, all of those beats matter. We don't want to read 
quickly, as easy as it is to go quickly through the story, making sure that we're reading, you know, visually reading, even when there's not text on the page, our eyes are still reading what those illustrations are saying. So we have to make sure that we are reading what the panel is saying and also what is being said between panels. Because those are really important in comics too, knowing that our brain is is filling in and we are inferring what happens between those panels. Well, do you think as both as a reader and a librarian and a teacher that both this book as a graphic novel and graphic novels in general are starting to be accepted more as literature, as as a real book, not something that's an easy read, but something that has a genuine value as much as any other uh, a book or novel that it has its own sort of uniqueness that uh, sometimes there's been, a, I think, a reluctance to uh, take them seriously um, as uh, works of art. Do you think that's changing, at least for some people? Well, Jody, I'm just going to call it out because this is a conversation we have a lot in comics. I'm just going to call it out and say the people that have a problem with it are adults. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the adults that uh, perhaps when they were children, their parents didn't want them to read comics. They like shamed them for reading comics. They didn't take comics seriously. But comics and graphic novels make readers. They are easy to read. They're quick to reread. Um, and we see ourselves in these books. We have to remember that graphic novels are a format, right? They're not a genre. They're a format. So they're a way of storytelling, the way that a movie, the way that a that a, a TV show, both of these are forms of storytelling. The way that a novel in free verse or a novel uh, with illustrations or a novel uh, in in text alone are all formats for telling stories. I think that um, when I have teachers that are hesitant about graphic novels, it's more for me that they haven't read a graphic novel that connects with them yet. But this is the same conundrum we, we see when teachers don't understand like what the appeal is about Diary of a Wimpy Kid or Captain Underpants. And and the answer is always, well, they're not written for you. They're written for kids. So if you don't like them, cool. They're written for kids. Um, if you do like them, great. I, I happen to be one that when I read Captain Underpants, I know it's not written for me. I kind of wish that I, it had been written for me back when I was a kid because then I probably would have been a better reader. But I can read it and appreciate the way that kids are laughing and seeing themselves and building confidence in reading these books. So that graphic novel format, I think the greatest thing that's going on now is that more teachers and more librarians are on board and more parents are on board. So more graphic novels are selling. You know, we look at like the uh, amazing sales of uh, Raina Telgemeier books. She's is a force that is now becoming a household name. And when you think about it, that's a big deal for people that don't work in children's literature to know the name of anyone, especially a contemporary, is a really, really big deal. And those sales help open doors for more sales and for more graphic novels to be made. And that's a really cool thing. I've been noticing in publishing um, new new graphic novel imprints being created. And that's a really cool thing, too. There's a lot of people that want to make comics. There's a lot of people that really love that graphic novel format, but haven't had the opportunity to tell their story because that's not what was selling. And unfortunately, to get a book sold, graphic novels have to sell. So I'm glad that we are entering an age where even if adults aren't reading the graphic novels, they are without a doubt affirming that 
they know their read that their kids or their readers find value in those graphic novels and and by supporting those readers uh, you know by supporting those readers we all win don't we oh absolutely absolutely and now I, when i read this book and i really loved it but i know a concern i had i usually at this time at uh, one point i asked people to share a passage and i and i i thought i thought at first oh this is going to be kind of hard to do but uh, you've told me that there is a particular part of this book that uh, you would like to share uh, something that you could read well, like any good librarian, I'm always looking for what can I read aloud to kids? What can I book talk? What can I share? And and this book is no different. So the passage I chose to read comes after Jake first encounters the barn, first encounters a puddle of water inside this barn. There is something mysterious going on. He's not sure what it is, but the dust is coming once again. So he, he goes home uh, and he uh, sees his sister who's under what looks to be like a mosquito net. She is sick and, and the family is sort of having her on quarantine, but she's, she's reading and Jake comes in to read with her and uh, her mom visits. And this is the part that I want to read. Actually, if you don't mind, I'm going to take it from, I'm going to take it from the sister into the mom. Okay. Oh, sure. So we have this connection to the wizard of Oz in this story and Dorothy being swept away out of, out of this place. Oh, the sister says, what did you do today, Jack? Any adventures? See any wheelers? No, I suppose not. I was in the Talbot's abandoned barn. I didn't break in or anything. It's just that the door was stuck, and I... Uh, anyways, it, it smelled funny. Well, barns generally do, sister says. No, not like that. Not like animals. It smelled like, I don't know, a funny smell. And she coughs. And he asks, so what is Dorothy up to? And uh, she says, well, Dorothy was going to visit her uncle, and um, her ship was caught in a storm. She fell overboard with this chicken, but they both washed up in Oz, and she's in the deadly desert now. Is the wizard in this one? Nope. I'm just going to jump ahead here until uh, Mom jumps in. And Mom says, you shouldn't try to talk so much, Dorothy, dear. It's okay. Talking to Jack helps. And Mom says, deadly desert. Don't you get enough of that around here? Ma, tell us about before, when you were a girl. And Mom says, this land was a paradise for my folks. It was beautiful. It was green when we arrived. An ocean of grass. The Indians had it first. Acres of pasture land. Then the white folks moved them out. And started ranching. But it was good land. It promised crops. Folks came from all over to farm it. My family came early. We lived in a dugout at first. Right in the ground. Dirt, walls, lots of bugs. Bugs? Bugs. Big bugs. It wasn't perfect, but it gave us shelter. My daddy and my brother worked harder than anyone. They planted wheat, and the wheat came up. Same story, pretty much for your Pa's family, too. We met and married. We built this house. We made it a home. And it was everything I ever dreamed of, especially after you little ones were born. We were so happy. And then, and in the panels, we see a house, a porch, and dust creeping in. And Mom says, the dust came, and the rain vanished. 
I remember rain. You're too young. You've never even seen rain. You were no older than seven when the last rain fell, Jack, so I wouldn't be too hard on Mabel. Yes, ma'am. But here, Jody, here's the part I wanted to get to. Mom says, I love the planting season when the rain comes. My favorite thing about the rain is right before it comes, there's a certain smell in the air. I love the way it pulls that scene together. Jack saying to his sister, it was a funny smell in that barn. And we end that scene with mom saying, my favorite thing about the rain was that smell that it brought. And I think in a book where we're reading pictures, when you can bring, when you can evoke that sense in the reader, that sense of smell, that sense of the rain, I know what the rain smells like. And uh, that to me is just a scene that, ah, because you picture this world made of dust and think like, well, what do you smell? Like probably the whole world. When I come in from a hard day of, of working outside and my hands just smell dusty and gross, that's what their world was. And that's what their world smelled like. All that freshness was gone. Anyway, sorry to go on and on about that scene. I just love that scene. Oh, that's okay. I, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't have the book in front of me, but uh, I seem to recall uh, when the mother uh, talks about the time in the past that the the color of the pictures uh, becomes more vibrant, more vibrant. Yeah. Really, the entire book, as I said before, is is dust colored, except in this barn that's painted blue, and the storm king in the barn is blue as well. But otherwise, when we get to this memory, it is full color it is vibrant it is something that that awakes the senses suddenly you realize that like oh the artist had access to full colors in this book but chose matt chose to limit the colors and that's a neat thing too as as well when you as a reader uh, are forced into that position of asking why why did the artist why did matt phelan choose to limit these colors and the answer becomes becomes clear immediately for that effect Oh, absolutely. I agree. I agree. Uh, well, Matthew, thank you so much for picking this book. I haven't had a chance to read it, so it was nice to have a chance to actually sit down and read it. And thank you for taking the time to talk to me about it today. It was my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, Jody. You can visit Matthew's website at www.matthewcwinner.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music titled All Together is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art is provided by Creative Pro 180, courtesy of Fiverr, which can be found at www.fiverr.com. You can visit me at jleemott.com or follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. Until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading.